It's a good night. It's a good night. And it seems to be getting even better. They don't call Super Tuesday for nothing. Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Yesterday, or earlier this morning, take your pick, was Super Tuesday. It's actually still ongoing as the votes are still being counted in many places across the country and delegates are being allocated. It turned out to be a sweeping victory of a night for Joe Biden, a a, a presidential candidacy revived in a way I have never seen uh, before in my career. Uh, Not so much for Michael Bloomberg, who uh, announced today he's out of the race and endorsing Joe Biden. And we await to see how Elizabeth Warren is assessing uh, her future in this race. My guests today were up very late with me last night (laughs) into the wee hours this morning, watching it all unfold. We have Gloria Borger, CNN chief political analyst, and David Axelrod, former Obama advisor and senior political commentator. He's also the host of his own podcast, The Axe Files, with David Axelrod. Guys, what did you make of that crazy night, Gloria? Well, I think it was unprecedented. I think it was stunning to all of us who have covered politics and from, in David's case, been involved in politics. Never have I seen uh, a consolidation around a candidate like this in this short a period of time after South Carolina. And I think what it showed us, it showed us a lot of things, but one of the things I came away with was these are voters who were shopping around and had a lot of people in their cart to use these. Just imagine you're on your Amazon website and they were trying to figure out who to remove. And once it looked like Biden was a winner, they decided to go with Biden because a lot of voters, I think, woke up and said, wait a minute, do we really want Bernie Sanders to go against Donald Trump? Because we're not sure that he can beat Donald Trump. So in a way, it may have been less about Biden the man than the moment. David, I know I'm simplifying it, but follow me here. Did Jim Clyburn pick the Democratic nominee for president? Well, he certainly will be the MVP (laughs) if Biden becomes the nominee of the Democratic Party. And I say if, because I think we ought to strike a cautionary note. Absolutely. If if we've learned nothing, we should learn humility in the prognostication business, because this is a very dynamic and volatile environment. But Jim Clyburn, you know, his endorsement clearly galvanized uh, support for Joe Biden in uh, in South Carolina. I can I can think of very few people in this country whose endorsement would move as met, as much vote as uh, Clyburn's apparently did. I think Biden was headed to win South Carolina, but he didn't need just a win. He needed what he got, which was a really really solid landslide victory to propel him forward into Super Tuesday, where after all he had no resources no advertising. He needed to create a tsunami. And and Clyburn kicked it off. And uh, it was really, really impressive to me to see that. Gloria called this unprecedented, this this yeah. moment. Can you think of a time where you saw three or four days in, in, in American presidential politics like this? I don't like think this? there's been anything quite like this. But it does speak to the times in which we live. Uh, you know, uh, we were talking last night about how little money Biden spent in the uh, in in the Super Tuesday states, but I was reminded of the fact that uh, Donald Trump spent very little money in 2016, and it just shows you the power of media. And I don't mean just uh, uh, you know paid media, which I think is less powerful than coverage, 
cable television and social media. And Biden just caught a wave. Uh, someone just told me that uh, they estimated that he got a hundred million dollars of uh, worth of media coverage uh, in that in the period between Super Tuesday. And then I think Democrats learned something. Uh, from watching Republicans in 2016. They never could. Donald Trump was not the candidate of the majority of Republicans, but they could not come behind a candidate and, 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 and in the way that we saw here. And I think that coalescence behind Biden quickly was very important. Gloria, I wonder, it's not just uh, lessons that Democrats may have learned from watching the Republicans in 2016, but are they also learning lessons from watching themselves in 2016 and how divided the party was? The Biden campaign, just moments before we started recording this podcast, held a uh, conference call with reporters with two of their co-chairmen, Cedric Richmond and Eric Garcetti, and, uh, and the deputy campaign manager, Kate Bedingfield. And it seemed to me the clear top lines out of that press conference call that they wanted out there is this call for unity in the Democratic Party. But I want you to hear Senator Sanders in his speech last night yeah. and then get your thoughts on how that's going to go. <laughs> One of us in this race led the opposition to the war in Iraq. You're looking at him. Another candidate voted for the war in Iraq. One of us has spent his entire life fighting against cuts in Social Security, wanting to expand Social Security. Another candidate has been on the floor of the Senate calling for cuts to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and veterans programs. Well, what do you, what do you, <laughs> I mean, who do you think he's, who do you think he's talking about? I don't look, Bernie Sanders is not, is not folding up at his den and saying, okay, it's over. Uh, Biden still needs to win half of the remaining delegates, you know, to claim a majority heading into the convention, about half. And Bernie Sanders is a fighter and he is, the, that was a clear attack on Joe Biden. And he's trying to cut into Biden's constituencies, by, particularly by raising the issue of uh, Social Security. And we know that Biden was for a balanced budget, which would have frozen Social Security uh, benefits. So I think that Sanders it, actually tried to tee up that Social Security debate back in January before Iowa, exactly. when, yeah. when Biden exactly. was still yes. He tried very hard to uh, before our debate to try to yeah. inject yes. that into yes. the conversation, but it never really it took never off. Did, he's he, running an ad on it now. He just right. started an ad he just, today. But he's not going to give in. I, you know, Bernie Sanders is not going to give in. I think the one thing we're interested in hearing, uh, maybe it'll happen later today, is what happens with Elizabeth Warren. And does she decide to go Bernie or does she decide to go with Joe Biden? You know, that's really interesting because she actually has overlap between the two kids. You know, her supporters are not solidly. I mean, I think there's more alignment on the in the progressive wing. And I think should Warren get out of the camp, you may see Bernie Sanders be able to consolidate some a large chunk of that support. But her voter profile, there's some of it that goes with Joe Biden. Absolutely. And, you know, there are people who have talked about her as a potential vice presidential nominee as a bridge between the progressive community and, and, and the more establishment. I know you hate that term. 
but the establishment. <laughs> I hate uh, the term establishment. Uh, why? Establishment. Why do you hate that? Because I think people who vote vote, and and the establishment was opposed to Joe Biden. We don't have to get into this detour, but my <laughs> point is that sorry about that. The no, establishment, okay. the <laughs> establishment was against Joe Biden until a few days ago. So it's not as if he was propped up. Well, I think everybody was shopping. I mean, the real thing that you talk about the shopping cart, people were shopping for someone other than Bernie Sanders. And I think what we saw yesterday potentially was, you know, the same limitations as a candidate that Bernie Sanders had in 2016. He still has, you know, the resistance among African-American voters, the ability, uh, the inability to expand into, you know, suburban areas, um, you know, so uh, we'll... uh, um, we'll see about that. But there is no doubt Bernie Sanders is not going to leave anything on the table. And Nor should he be expected to. Right. No, exactly. but, but here's the difference. I'm curious, for all the talk of unity, are the Biden forces really going to sit still and let Bernie Sanders fire on them? Hillary Clinton was relatively passive because she didn't want to antagonize Sanders supporters. But, you know, Bernie Sanders, he, he could easily also stand up there and say, I'm the only candidate who voted against uh, holding gun manufacturers accountable. I'm the only candidate who voted against the, the, the Brady bill. I'm the only candidate who sought a candidate to uh, oppose Barack Obama in 2000. And we saw Joe Biden hit all of that pretty hard and in I, the lead up to South Carolina. Yeah, I think this is going to be a brawl in Phoenix on March 15th, the CNN debate. And I don't think... You know, the thing about Bernie Sanders, and I asked someone involved in their debate prep with Biden, are you worried about him one-on-one? Because he hasn't been the most stellar debater. They said, no, actually, Bernie is easier because there's no secret about what he's going to say. He says it all the time. He's been saying the same things for 50 years. He's now laid out his four-pronged attack on Biden, Iraq, trade, uh, Social Social Security, Security, and and billionaires. Billionaires. And I think if you look at them in the debates, and you know they go back a long time in the Senate, they actually have a relationship. They are not close, but if you'll notice in these debates— Bernie always goes about Biden. You know, Joe is my friend. I like Joe. I'm moving my hands right now. They only so. overlapped a couple of years in the Senate. <laughs> right. They only overlapped a couple of years in the Senate before he, he became vice, vice president. president. Exactly. But they have known each other a long Without time. Without a doubt. And so it'll be, as David points out, watching them fight will be interesting because Biden isn't a natural fighter. Bernie is. Yeah, he's not comfortable with it. And, you know, sometimes Biden... Um, substitutes a higher decibel level for, you know, effective repartee. But but I, you know, I do think, look, this fight has to be had. I don't think there's any way to avoid it. The question is, can, how quickly can you get it done? And are there figures who can bridge the gap? And do you lose these young people, which is something I think Biden should be. He, he has pitiful numbers among voters under 29, really not great under voters with voters under 40. And, you know, he has to find a way to dispatch Sanders without dispatching the kind of big moral imperatives that Sanders is speaking to that attract these young people. Eric Garcetti was just asked about that very uh, deficiency on this conference call and said he pointed to Joe Biden has to be talking every day out there about uh, college loans and how to and how to uh, get rid of people's college debt, uh, that that will help with younger specifically uh, African-American and Latino uh, youth yeah. in a way that they think that maybe that's their path to try to. But this is where this is where uh, this is where Elizabeth Warren could help. Sure. If she decided to uh, endorse Joe Biden, 
she could hugely help on that front. Joe Biden, don't forget, is for free community college. He's not for free overall. Sure. But he is for free community college. He's, so. not for, he's also not for alleviating everyone's debt entirely. Exactly. Yeah. But they may be able to find, and, and they've had troubles in the past over credit card issues because he represented the state of Delaware. Well, the bankruptcy bill that Bernie Sanders is hitting him on was her baby, and she That's was right. really, really, she and her, uh, uh, some of her initial speeches raised this bankruptcy bill with a mind toward facing off with Biden. So, um, But she never really brought it. She never she did. Never, she she did. never did. I, I think it. Elizabeth Warren, you know, I wonder whether she has this vice presidential thing in her I think mind. She, I know? think she might. I think she might. And I, I think the Biden people would be thinking about it. As so well. let me flip the tables for a second, because the, the Biden people are projecting and listen, we've got a lot of California still to vote. So we don't quite know exactly how the delegate picture will pay out. Their projection internally is he's going to come out ahead, uh, Biden, by about 50 delegates over Sanders. Now, if the situation was on the other foot and uh, Sanders only had a 50 delegate lead, um, the sorry, Gloria, the establishment, the non Sanders <laughs> wing of the party would be suggesting that that is not a rightful lead at all and that that right. that, that the battle should be had. They have to As be David careful. said, they do have to battle this out. Fifty delegates. That is not impenetrable. But they're not saying they no, don't. No, no. They're not saying they don't have to battle it no. out. And I think they're very well aware. I mean, I just talked to someone this morning. I don't know. It might have been one of the persons on the call. But but who is saying, look, we can't go around saying we're winning. We're, we've won. We're winning. We're, that's, not, that's not who we are and that's not what we're about. We understand the power of Bernie Sanders. We get it. And although they are heading into states on, on – uh, on March 10th, that looked pretty good for them. Seven of the next 11, Bernie looked lost good for them. last time. That's right. Yeah. So, but nobody nobody is saying this is over. And uh, they still can't believe where they are, however. No doubt. <laughs> but they can't. They're not um, saying it's over. David, you had mentioned that Sanders sort of underperformed in some ways from four years ago in some areas. It's interesting. I was thinking about specifically looking at Minnesota or yes, Colorado. Yes. They were former caucus states. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Part of yes. the reform commission that Bernie Sanders yes. demanded to get rules changed to the convention and superdelegates, part of the bargain he lost in that negotiation was that the party went in a lot more in the direction of primaries yes. over caucuses, which is not to his strength. And I think he suffered that. Yesterday. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, he 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 did half as well in those states in primaries as he did uh, in caucuses in terms of sheer uh, raw percentage. So, yeah, this that was a you know, the, he he is the architect, as Elizabeth Warren artfully pointed out at a town hall. <laughs> he is the architect of these rules. Now he has to live with them. And now, you know, it is interesting because the, 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 the the worm has turned. Could be Joe Biden who ends up as the delegate leader, but not with 1991. And now Sanders has made an eloquent argument for why that should stand. Yeah, um, it's called hoist on your own petard. Oh yeah, that's exactly technical. Called. So before we go, Gloria, Shakespeare, Chester. I'd love you both to weigh in on this, uh, Gloria. The Bloomberg impact now of his endorsement of Biden. What might that look like financially for Joe Biden? Well, he could establish an independent expenditure committee and he could it's unlimited what he can do for Joe Biden. He also has organization on the ground in many, many, many states, which Biden can use. And the most important thing, I think, and we had Andrew Yang talking about this on our air last night, the most important thing is the technology that Bloomberg has and how Bloomberg can 
hand over all of that to Biden and allow them to use that to their advantage. It is something Biden does not have, does not have the money to have. And to be able to start not from square one, but at the top of the mountain and say, "Okay, we're ready, is hugely important for Biden. This guy's riding a he's been riding a scooter and all of a sudden he's got a Maserati (laughs) waiting in the garage for him. It's a it's a pretty good deal. But does Bernie Sanders uh, use it as a cudgel? Absolutely. I think it's a double-edged sword, but probably one that Biden will gratefully accept, not just for primary purposes, but it'll be most important in a general election against Donald Trump, who will have all kinds of weaponry. I cannot think of two people I'd rather talk with all day long. So <laughs> David Axelrod, Gloria Borger, thank you so much for thanks being here. Thanks for having sure. us. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app while you're there. Consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag The Daily DC. We'll see you tomorrow.